all you dads and dads to be out there. It is Davo bringing you another episode here of the Fearless Fathers Podcast, the Growing Hood Father Podcast, so you could break the toxic generational traditions that no longer serve you to be a better father and just an overall better person in the long run. Today, I have with me a guest. You could see him to my right. This one is deep down in my core, in my soul. If you've listened to the podcast for a while, you know I've talked about the horrors that are divorce and what I went through dealing with the divorce as a five-year-old. And as we know, if you've gone through divorce or you're going through divorce, co-parenting can be one of the most difficult parts of navigating through a divorce. It's nothing else other than, and depending on how old your kids are, you might have years. I mean, we're talking 10, 15 years of co-parenting ahead of you. Uh, so Andy Heller, he decided to sit down and he's talking about his new book that just came out, Take the High Road, Divorce with Compassion for Yourself and Your Family. Now, Andy is no expert when it comes to divorce, you know, but what he did was he went out there and he talked to dozens of people, field experts. Uh, we're talking counselors, attorneys, mediators, and divorced couples who overcame multiple challenges with their divorce to find ways to co-parent and just bring a cohesive unit family together. So this obviously is going to be the major toxic generational tradition we're talking about today. And in this book, Andy put together 46 practical strategies for you after separation for your for everybody to get a roadmap to not just yourselves, but for your kids and your uh, co-parenting spouse as well, too. So without further ado, Andy, brother, friend, amigo, welcome to the podcast, man. <laughs> Honor to have you. Hey, thanks for having me back. I, I love your energy and I, I can't wait to talk. Oh, the energy is going to be fire today. That's what we do here. So I'm super, super pumped. So I know I hit a little bit in the intro of that, of the interview, uh, but just give our readers a little bit about yourself because I know you're a businessman and this isn't really your expertise. So just kind of give us an idea of who Andy Heller really is. Sounds good. I'll try to give my, uh, my intro and what led me to write this book Dave, in, mm -hmm. in like three or four minutes so we can save most of the time for, for helping people with questions. I don't love it. They're not here to listen about me, but really what, how this book can help them. So, um, your intro was perfect. I'm a successful businessman, everybody. I've, I've run a number of successful businesses. One of those is I'm a real estate investor. Uh, 20 years ago, I wrote two best-selling books on real estate investing, and I swore I would never write another book because <laughs> <it's a>, <laughs> I'm a perfectionist and it's a very labor-intensive process and you don't make a lot of money, all right? So, so, but one of my own coping skills, coping mechanisms, guys, is I I, I write, when I'm stressed, I write notes, okay? As an example, when, when my mom was passing away, she was in hospice, my notes eventually evolved into an article that I'm proud was picked up in five newspapers around the country in the Mother's Day after she passed, yeah. So um, my own divorce was pretty challenging, all right? So I'm, I'm writing all these notes, and um, I'm that guy in every community where my friends come to for the reasonable advice, Okay, I'm the guy that says, okay, hold on, let's bring down the emotions. Here's what we, sh here's what I think we ought, you should do. In my business, I've, I make decisions. So I'm, I'm typically a very compromise-oriented, rational, um, emotions-in-check kind of guy. All right, now, my own divorce was challenging, and I'm not embarrassed to say, everybody, I, I, I said to a co-parent counselor that my wife at that time and I were seeing, uh, can you give me a suggestion of a, of a therapist who's worked with divorced men? I want specifically want somebody who's worked with men. So I met this lady and she was amazing. And over the next couple of years, I'm writing my notes and everything, Dave. And I would go into her office and I can't count how many times something would happen. I would defer making a decision until I bounced it off my therapist. And I would, I would come out there with advice that was completely contrary to what I intended to do. One time in particular, and I can share the story because it's actually a, a co-parenting story, but let me finish my intro. Yeah. One time I went in there and something happened. I went in there and I said, okay, this is what happened, but don't worry. I thought it through and um, here's what I'm going to do. And she went into therapy speaking like, well, Andy, I'm glad you think it, blah, 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 but you're not going to do that. You're going to do the opposite. And I listened, Dave, as her counsel came out of her mouth, which was about 180 degrees from what I intended to do. And it made so much sense after I listened. So the 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 impression that I left with, I was I I recognized at that very moment the degree to which I was emotionally compromised and not able to make the best decisions for my children and even for myself. 
Then I looked at these notes that I'd written over the last two years. I'm like, oh my God, I got an outline for a great book about how to get through a divorce with your head on straight without screwing up your kids, okay? And then not just the divorce part of it, how to co-parent effectively, because in my opinion, most of the divorce part begins after you sign your document because you got to raise these kids without screwing them up. So as you said in the intro, I'm not, I don't consider myself, everybody, to be an expert on divorce. I read a bunch of other books, and some of them were pretty good. But what I did was I began an eight-year project at that time to interview field experts, divorce attorneys, um, co-parent counselors, mediators, judges, and countless couples who they themselves went through the divorce and did some things right, did some things wrong. And I took all this counsel. And so my, I'm less an author as I am an organizer in chief, is I took these lessons from experts and I'm sharing them because, and the last thing I'll say is, why did I do this book? The one thing that really impressed upon me was divorce is an experiential journey. And during this journey, mm-hmm. you're going to do some things right. You're going to do some things kind of okay and some things horribly wrong. But, but if you had the benefit of the lessons on day one, you would make different choices and decisions along the way. So that's what my book is. It's 46 tips and strategies of situations that most of you are going to encounter many of these. And with, with the counsel on day one, when the situation pops itself up, even if it's after the divorce, a co-parenting situation, you'll have a strategy how to handle it very different and you'll let your emotions stay in check. So that's my story and I'm sticking to it. I love it. <laughs> I absolutely love it. And you brought up you brought up a really good point about that. Like you're not considered a divorce expert, but the way I look at it is you're like the divorce knowledge broker, right? Cuz you're you're that guy that went out, you got all the information, you learned everything. You you went through the mud, you you bruised yourself and you learned all this information. You're like, "You know what? I can make this a lot easier for everybody if I just kind of put everything together and I say, "Here you go." And, and I yeah. think that's a big thing that a lot of people don't think about is like, especially when we're going through what I like to call our messy middle, like you, you need to be able to share that story so people can understand how you got through that. So just for the fact that you went out there and you're like, you know what, I'm going to broker this knowledge that I learned so we could give it to more people that need this information who may not have the time, resources, or energy to go out and do the same exact thing I did. Yeah. And I don't mind saying, Dave, this isn't my job, everybody. I've, I've got... I got a couple successful careers. Um, and if you know, statistically these days, even the best books, 99 out of 100 lose money. So this is my pay it forward opportunity because I didn't have a manual like this. And if I did, I would have made very, very different choices and decisions that would have benefited my children and me and even my my former spouse. So let me ask you this. How long ago from the time of this recording, we're in March of 2023, how long ago was that divorce to where we're at today? So we pretty much ended the marriage in 2013 okay. and we signed the document that ended it in 2014. Um, and I've, I've since met a, a wonderful woman. I'm happily remarried. Um, my children now, um, my, my kids were kind of young as, as is the case with a lot of divorcees. Um, so today my daughter is about to graduate, go to college and my son, he's 15. And now I know he's told me he knows everything and I know nothing. So he's at that stage. <laughs> yeah, um, he knows what's up. <laughs> so, and, and that everybody, ladies and gentlemen, uh, uh, that's not a function of divorce or not divorce. This is something I think most teenage boys go through and it's a heck of a lot of fun. So buckle up. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So we're, we're talking a 10, really a 10 year span. Like you said, you've been working on this book now for eight years. So we're talking. Yeah. Two years after the divorce, you finally decided that, hey, you know what? I have all this information. I have all these notes. And would, would you say like that counselor that you talked to was kind of like the brain spark to say, maybe there's something here that I need to put together? Yeah. And I, and I think sharing that story because your, your podcast is all about co-parenting will really drive home this point. And again, everybody, I'm a pretty grounded and compromise-oriented, reasonable man. I'm a Dale Carnegie disciple. Um, yeah. So... So what I can tell you is this, everybody, we had, you sign your MSA, your divorce document, but there's going to be situations that arise where you need to switch times, custodial calendar, you know, you know, your right. uh, uncle John comes into town and the kids want to see him, but it's on your ex-wife's uh, custodial time. So you ask to swap. So 
let's just say that I made some request and the answer was no. Okay. Then I was asked a request. And instead of saying no, I said, I'll get back to you because I had an appointment with my Uber divorce therapist. And I went in there and I said, okay, this is what's happened. She keeps saying no to me. Now she's asked me something and I'm going to come back to her and say, okay, I'll tell you what, you work with me. I'll work with you. Compromise oriented, right, Dave? Um, Mm -hmm. You say yes to my request. I'll say yes to your request. It sounded real reasonable. And this, her answer was why I wrote this, why I began the process of writing this book. She said, Andy, you're not going to do that. You're not going to link any request. Any request that she asks you where the children can benefit from your answer being yes, and you can accommodate that request without it being overly challenging, you're going to say yes, irrespective of what she's saying to you when you're giving her comparable, or in your minds, comparable requests. And after a handful of but, 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 she's like, Andy, do this. Now, in most cases, within two years, the behavior of the spouse begins to change. But don't go in expecting that. Just begin establishing a pattern of you saying yes to any request that the children can benefit from and that you can accommodate. So I went and I said, yes, my, my therapist was wrong. It took six months, six months, not two years. And I began to hear yeses at the other end because I didn't link the request. And it's funny in my own circle of friends here, Dave, I've got some friends who are going through divorce. They all link, they all link because that is a natural inclination. I'm not getting cooperation over here. So why don't we just tie these things instead of cooperate? But that's not the right answer. I was so moved by my therapist guiding me, contrary to what my instincts were telling me was the right to choice. And that was when I made that decision. I looked at my notes. I'm like, oh my God, how many times have I walked into this office with a plan and walked out with a different plan? My instincts were wrong. That's why we, that's where we need help. I love that answer. <laughs> Not the one I expected, <laughs> but it's the one it's the one we needed to hear. And that really brought me back. And the one main point that I want to harp on every dad listening to this, I don't care if you go back and rewind it the minute and a half, whatever, do what is beneficial to the child in that time for that compromise. I I've talked about on this show before and in my own divorce, I remember there was no compromise between my parents. It was, nope, screw you. Nope, screw you. Nope. And it was back and forth. And what what comes of that, and this is coming from my heart, is you become a weaponized child in a divorce. And that does nothing for the child and it does nothing for yourself. And instead, you take the high road and you say, you know what? We can make this work. So many people, especially in divorce, that that idea of, well, it's going to be a battle back and forth for the rest of our lives. It becomes this idea of like, wait a minute, you're throwing me off guard here. You're telling me that I'm allowed to do this. And I just said, no, you can't. Hold up. I got to, I got to reevaluate some things. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, that that's well said. And and that's actually a good segue for me to mention actually a misconception. So my title is take the high road, divorce with compassion for yourself and your family. And more than one podcaster and uh, um, uh, uh, a writer who's interviewed me said, well, I guess that this means you, you always give in and, and, uh, but that, that's not, that's not what, I'm saying everybody, and this is a really, really, again, another powerful misconception. There is a relationship between conflict points and the amount of money you're going to spend, both the, the, the pre and post divorce with attorney fees and stress. And if you can reduce the conflict points, it might appear like, oh, well, I'm, 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 I'm compromising here. I could be. I could be doing the being taking a very different approach, but it, it, it it's the opposite. If you are okay, let's use the word fight. If you are sure. fighting about five items instead of fifteen, and you're kind of giving in on the other ten, you're actually going to save money because you're not paying the attorneys to debate these other ten items, 
and not to mention the fact that you're stressing on five issues, not 15. So the compromising that you, you, you and taking the high road and reducing the conflict points with your spouse before and ex-spouse after will typically save you money and bring your stress down. I think that's a great point. You talked about the conflict points. And I remember when I was doing the research for this show and kind of looking through other podcasts, you brought up that point. I, I, there was one where you're like, you go in, um, I think it was dealing with the attorney when you're starting the divorce and you go in and say, Hey, these are the two or three main priorities that I need to deal with. Like you need to advocate on your own behalf when you're, when you're dealing with an attorney. And I, I probably a horrible segue into this, but it made me think of it in that so many people, when they're going through the divorce process, they're like, all right, my attorney's done this forever. I don't have to do anything. Hands are off, but they don't really know the situation. So for the dads who might be going through that process now, or, you know, it might be started or already started. Like what are some other things that you could talk about with that? Well, well, you just touched on two chapters. I'm going to speak to that. Okay. The first is it's your job to manage your attorney, not the other way around. And you have to approach this gentleman with that attitude. Okay. The attorney's going to fight as long as, as, as tough. And as, as many topics as you dictate to him or her, all right? And they're going to compromise and save you money if you, are the, if you are driving your attorney to do that, okay? The other thing that, that Dave mentioned that is really interesting is in my book, and this might be, this, this, again, this could be a, a tough love comment, but sit down if you haven't finalized your divorce yet, if you're just starting the process. And you uh, require yourself to write down the two or three things that are really important to you. And you give those two or three things written down to your attorney and you instruct your attorney to compromise everywhere else, but to focus on these two or three things. This is a healthy process for you to, again, to, 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 because when, when you're getting divorced, it's like, white noise it's constant noise in your ears or your friends are saying this your 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 relatives are saying that your employee your colleagues are saying this your emotions are saying that so you're not thinking well cut off to eliminate the white noise blinders gentlemen and and you take a step back okay this is my situation what's important to me hmm well i wouldn't mind giving as much money if I can have geographic certainty. In other words, you know, what if she meets a partner in a different city? I don't want to have to uproot myself. Tell the attorney, I want geographic certainty. I, we're here right now, but we don't know how life will play out in the future. Right. Okay? That's a great example because one of the things I learned in the interview, Dave, that's really, really a powerful point is that many divorced men and divorced women who wanted to stay an active part in their children's lives, that became measurably more difficult due to their former spouse moving after the divorce. And it could even be in the same city with bad traffic an hour away into the country. Keep in mind, when your kids get older, they're not going to be want to be with you as much. All right. If they're playing sports, if they're involved in a school that's in your ex's area, all of a sudden, living with dad on their custodial time is going to become a hassle. And looking in advance to make sure that that is not a situation you have to deal with. So you can achieve this if you arm your attorney with writing an MSA where that becomes more difficult. I think that's massive. That, that actually brought me back to a great friend of mine I went to high school with, and we were talking about divorced parents and co-parenting. He was on this podcast and he talked about moving all the way out to Colorado with his with his baby mama and his kid. And she's just like the day before they're supposed to come out. He was already there two weeks. She's like, I'm not coming. We're done. And it was it was over. And it's like, how do you how do you mentally come back from that? And it wasn't a marriage or anything. It was, you know, together. But it, it becomes such a horrible thing. And I've seen so many dads go through what you're talking about today. I have friends close dear friends of mine they're like i can't see my kids because 
they're 200 miles away. They're, they're 50 miles away and I, I just can't get to them. And it, it becomes heartbreaking. Yeah. And, and I speak about that in my book. Um, one of the ways we, we communicate these 46 strategies and points are with real life stories and the names have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty. But the stories deliver a real powerful point that we can walk away with. So I would go, I would go so far as to say for men, the leading issue that can adversely affect co-parent, the, the ability to co-parent after divorce is geography. If it's not the leading one, it's the leading two. And I do not know, I don't have the statistics here, but from the interviews I did, close. man, my, my ex, she moved an hour away. Man, she met somebody and moved to another state. And there was not language in the MSA. Now, just keep in mind, you can never say in an MSA, she's not allowed to move, okay? But what you can say is any move, change of school district has to be mutually agreed to. You can say support levels are tied to geography. That if, some, if, if, if you're moving to an area where it's a cost of living is much less, the support can be recalibrated. Wow. So if you think about it, if you sign a divorce in the, New York, the, the Northeast in the New York area, and you're given a level of support that's fair for that area, then all of a sudden your your former spouse a year later wants to move to to Idaho in a farm town, but the support's going to be uh, <laughs> astronomically like, different. Like a, like a queen, yeah. So right. these are these are issues that many men found themselves in that they had not prepared for when they were negotiating their MSA. So. Really, so as we're talking about the visitation issues, and I kind of want to touch on this as we're like yeah. talking about more so like we're going through the divorce, we're finalizing the divorce, all that we're kind of coming through those steps. What are some other strategies or other things that you've heard from people you've interviewed or the families or even your own self for like those visitation issues where the dads might have issues seeing their children on a regular basis? Well, um, I'm going to and this, this is going to be a cold, hard fact, gentlemen, but it's a really it. powerful point. Um, the, the, and this is, this is, I'm going to answer you in two parts. The first part is from a, a point that many, many do not understand. This is not on the father's side. So let's say the father's given support. All right. The, the, and I don't, I'm, I, I, I'm going to be missing, misquoting the, the exact percentages, Okay, but it's in the book, the exact percentages, but basically, um, if, a father has custodial time with the children, they tend to pay child support like 80%. As soon as it's the, the father does not or has significantly less, the, the percentage of time they pay support on time goes down to like 40%. So this is a message for both parties to understand. It's in everybody's interest to allow the man, allow both parents to be impactful parts of their children's lives, as long as the parent is themselves in a good situation. But do you see these stories all the time where the man or the woman is trying to make it difficult for their former partner to be a parent, but their former partner is a good parent. The only loser there are the children. And you don't want that to happen. Yeah, it, be it becomes, again, weaponizing the child for whatever personal gain or benefit just to say, Oh, I got one up over on you. You want to see your kids so bad? Well, screw you. Now I win. And then, Oh, well, why did my support stop? You're a deadbeat. See, this is why you never yeah. see your kids. And, and it becomes that vicious cycle of what do I do? Like that at some point, whether you listen to this podcast or you've gone through it, or you're trying to reevaluate, like you, you lose hope, you lose initiative. You just like, what's the point anymore? Correct. And, and this is the, this is where it's helpful. So the other part of my answer to your question is that my other suggestion is to particularly if you believe that you are the more reasonable of the two, you want to bring a witness into your into your co-parenting arrangement so that you're not in a situation where a partner you couldn't live with. You now have to co-parent with <laughs> you want to bring a police person in that now. Now, the perfect the perfect and we talk about this in the book, the perfect cocktail is what's a co-parent counselor, somebody you'll meet with once a month or once every quarter. And 
the co-parent counselor helps make helps you reach co-parenting compromises. And there's an elevation step called a special master. Special master is the co the problem of the co-parent counselor is that the advice is not um, um, ob obligatory. Okay. Sure. So if you have truly obstructive former spouse, that that can be productive only up to a certain level. The use of a special master, a special master is basically oftentimes a former judge or attorney or even a therapist who does co-parenting. And this, and you will arm the co-parent, the, the special master with what's called an order. These are items that he or she is allowed to rule on. So let's say you're not able to reach an agreement on custodial uh, uh, schedule or interpretation of the MSA. And without a special master, your options are continue to fight or go to court. Those are two pretty, those options are at the end of the extreme spectrum. The benefit of a special master is, let's say you're in a situation like this, you and your former spouse will, will send your own version of what needs to happen and what's happening and ask for a decision and decision is binding. As long as the items are on the, the order, it's binding. And, it, it, and basically, instead of spending 20,000 bucks in court, you're spending 250, 500, even 1,000 bucks, and it's over. And the, the last thing I'll say about a special master is that it's like, a, it, it's, it's, like um, it's not a buffet. You, you, you are paying for only what you use. So you can set up the special master. You can use the special master 10 times a year. You can use a special master once every four years. So if you end up getting along and can reach agreement, you don't, you don't have a bill. But if you find that you're having challenges, you're able to reach decisions that allow you to co-parent. And it minimizes the ability of a truly obstructive former spouse to make your life miserable. And one thing I'll say, again, this is, I'm, I'm going real fast with a lot of yeah. advice here. It's yeah. all in the book, everybody. But the one thing I'll say don't make the mistake of thinking, well, you know, we're, 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 we're able to make agreements right now, so I don't really want to do this. Uh, and wrong decision. <laughs> because issues can arise, new partners, uh, 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 new stressors can come into the life two years down the road. And a, a former, an ex-spouse where formerly you were able to make decisions with together you can no longer co-parent effectively. But because you put in a special master just in case, you're fine. If you don't have this in place, once the divorce is signed, it's measurably more difficult to get it in place. So to, mm -hmm. so the, 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 the summation of what I was saying here to answer your question is, if you put a structure in place before you put your dotted line, your, 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 your John Hancock on the MSA, a structure that helps you co-parent, whether your former spouse becomes easier to work with or becomes more difficult to work with, you will be armed with an ability to co-parent and to limit any obstructionism that might occur. It's all about having that structure in place, uh, ideally before you sign your divorce. I never even knew that was a thing. So that that's a great takeaway for any dads going out there today and dealing with that. I think that's an amazing, amazing tool. Again, something I never knew. Uh, being a child of divorce, I'd never seen that. But also being a child of a very bad divorce, I remember so many times of therapy and we've talked about therapy a bit on this one. And I kind of want to get your insight a little bit as to, you know, having children, maybe smaller children, and you're going through this tough divorce and the kids seem to be in the middle of it. It, it seems like a lot of people want to go through the therapy sessions after the divorce happens. And and to me, I remember kind of going through that. It just kind of feels like a shell of something. Like I, I still didn't know what was going on. Yeah. So um, there's a couple of things I'll talk about. Again, therapy and, and your children is probably in seven or eight of my chapters. Okay. Wow. Um, if you only have in your budget for one therapist, I'd love to say, take care of yourself, but put your kids in therapy. Now, that's point number one. Point number two is there are different types of therapists that are out there for children, okay? And 
you're, you're not going to have a five or six or seven year old kid sit on a couch and say, well, this is what my feelings are telling me, blah, 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 blah. Younger children typically communicate through play. So there's, there's a subset of children's therapy called a play therapist. And it's actually, it's been around now, Dave, for I think 30, 40, 50 years. And it's becoming very, very popular for younger children. So find a therapist like this um, for your children if they're younger. If they're not, you get a therapist who works with teens, okay? If, they're, if the kids are older, absolutely get, get, set, get, get your kids with a therapist because you cannot be the disruptor of their lives and also the fixer. And there needs to be an advocate who solely is hired with your children's interests and minds and, and doesn't really care about the drama between you and your ex. That's the benefit of a children's therapist. Now, one more point to what Dave said a few minutes ago. The timing of this, we also discuss in, in, um, in the book. And one of the therapists I inter interviewed, a brilliant play therapist from California, she recommends that if, if, if it is, the parents have decided to end their marriage, the children do not know yet, that you get the kids in therapy, ideally three to six months before you tell them. So the therapist can have a foundation in place. So when the news is given to the kids, he or she can go into damage control mode. And because they already know the children, the therapist can be far more impactful to your children landed in, in a better place. So the timing of when you start this is also really, really important. But that being said, if you're listening to this two years after you've got divorced, there's never a bad time to put your, your kids in therapy. But if you are in a marriage right now that will probably come to an end at some point, if you can get agreement with your spouse to get your kids in therapy before they're given the news, you are doing them a monumental home run of a favor. It's all about being proactive, not reactive. And Correct. I think that's massive, massive, because so many people are like, oh, this divorce just happened. Well, I'm just going to get through this divorce really quick, and then we'll pick up the pieces and kind of figure it out as we go along. And really, that doesn't benefit anybody. It, it more, more or less detriments everybody involved. Correct. I, I remember it myself being a five-year-old kid and being like, what just happened? And it's like, oh, it's not your fault. Oh, it's not your fault. We're splitting up. And it, it becomes this, well, that doesn't really help me. And then you deal with that. And I don't think we realize this as parents or when we're going through this, that it's going to wire your child's brain for the rest of their lives on how they view families, on how they view relationships, on what a marriage should be. And, and I think we really forget that. It's yeah. Yeah. And I, I would probably go so far as to say probably 60% of my book deals with um, how, how it deals with after the divorce. And, and that's co-parenting once the children, once you've split into two households. Um, and you're so right, Dave, uh, that the, your, your children, their wiring is going to be affected by how you manage the divorce. Their wiring is going to be affected by um, what you say, what you don't say about your former spouse. Now, let me actually leave, leave, give, give you a great nugget here. I'm not oh, the first person. It. I'm not. I'm not the first person to say, "Don't say bad things about your spouse, your former spouse, to your children." All right. So there's no. There's nothing really monumentally new that Andy Heller's saying here, but in one of my interviews with a, with a like a 30 year therapist, she gave me a completely different take on why. Okay. Okay. Clearly, there's a. Well, you know, you, they don't want to see you as the one always bad mouthing mom or bad mouthing dad. But it goes deeper than that, everybody. Your children eat at the youngest of ages, five, six, seven, eight. They understand instinctively, maybe not the whole scientifically, but instinctively that they are the byproduct of two people, mom and dad. They're the DNA of half of mom and half of dad. So when you're criticizing your ex, the child internalizes that as criticizing half of them. When the therapist said that to me, that was like a Shazam moment, Dave, and that went boom, right into a chapter. 
you, you really hit a, a soft spot in my heart on that because I felt that, you know, we talked about this off air, like being told, oh, your mom is this or your dad is this or, oh, you make that face like your parent. It's like you're basically saying you don't love half of me, like the blunt way of putting it, like you're, that, you're basically saying half of me is garbage. Cor- and, cor- correct. And, and, and you know what? Sometimes your ex is going to deserve it. You're going to want to say some stuff. But you can also there's also ways to deal with this that that, that you're, you're, you you can say to your children and again the language to use for these types of conversations is really really important and we t- we talk about this in the book but sometimes you can just look at a kid and say you know what um, your mom and I couldn't stay together and I, I understand what you're talking about there but I'm just I'm just going to choose not to go there right now mm-hmm. and that's it. So you're not criticizing, all right? Yep. And you're not defending. You're just saying, I'm taking a pause. I'm, I'm not going to comment. And so there's a lot of ways to handle it, guys. Even if that person deserves it, you've got to understand that what comes out of your mouth can be so impactful on the wiring of your children. And you owe it to them to, to start with being aware of how they're going to receive the thing, the words that you say, and part, and that's why the language and the style of how you answer the kids, the language you choose, the words you choose. This is four or five chapters in there because that's what I kept hearing in my interviews, Dave. That that oh, we see this, and then the, then then then, sure enough. The, the kid ends up being divorced seven times because they came from, because this is, this is, these were their stories. You don't want your children to have that path. And then it's not necessary guys. That right there is the definition in my book of your book about taking the high road. Let the other person, if they want to live that life, let them take that route. Because I, I guarantee you, cause this has happened to me that when they hit like that, if they're younger and they hit that 15, 16 year old age and they go through and they have that issue, Five six years down the road, they're going to realize what was actually said, and they could carpet, uh, you know, put it all together. They're going to be like, "Oh, damn, okay, there's there's something here." So that that is my definition of taking the high road a hundred percent of the time. And, and the the one thing that we tend to forget when children are young is that they will grow up, okay, and they're not going to remember specific conversations, but they're going to remember typically, but they're going to typically remember the big pictures. So let's say you have a, spa- a former spouse, everybody, and, and she's just brutal, just going off on. Now, first of all, you want to get in front of a therapist to try to get your former spouse to understand the damage that she's doing. Because you don't want, even if you take in the high road, you don't want your, your former spouse to be damaging your children. Okay, that's not good for, for anybody. But if you're in a situation that's not getting better and, and these things are happening, you can choose, you can look at your children at almost any age and say, you know what? Um, mom and I couldn't stay together. And I think and if she's a good mom, you could say, you know, she, mom is a good mom, but I can't comment on the things that she's saying. I got a rule in this house and that is I'm never going to say anything bad about mom. And I hope you can respect that. And you know what? That's what they're going to remember. They're not going to remember the conversation. Yes. They're going to remember how respectful dad was. And if, and if you are worried about them here, then them coming up with certain assumptions or whatever, um, here's a great story I can share with you. Absolutely. Um, it, it was a dad where he had this role, but the moms in her world and her sisters, he knew that, that, the, that the sisters and the extended family was bad-mouthing him. All right? And there was a genuine concern that – this was going to go into the kids wiring, but the kids kept coming over to dads and they had good times there. They saw he was a good father. They saw he was honest. They saw how he treated other people. They saw his new partner. All right. And so in these 13, 14, 15 year old minds, maybe the depth of this could not be understood, but it just didn't make sense. Okay. Well, wait a sec. I keep hearing all this stuff about dad from mom's family. And it's like, he's, he's, He's just a horrible person. I'm not seeing any of this. It's not consistent with what I'm seeing visually. And that's really all the kids need to understand when they're younger. When they're older, they might ask you some questions. And then maybe, you know, your answers can have a different texture there. Okay. 
So one of the, 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 the and this doesn't have anything to do with divorce, but I think the, the, the aspect of parenting that gets the least attention that I think is a top, top three point, if not top one, is modeling. Modeling. You don't need to preach that, hey, kids, look at, look at, look at this, look at that, what, what dad is doing. The kids will notice how dad is leading his life. The kids will notice the quality of people in dad's relation, in dad's world, friends and new partners and, you know, how respectful he is and how he, cher he cherishes his parenting time. And they'll form their opinions based on, on, on how you, how you, the model you are creating for them. You set the standard that you want your kid to follow when they leave the house. 1000%. So Andy, brother, you have been dropping <laughs> so much value here. I think my head's about ready to implode, but I, I love this conversation. I love it. I'm, I'm fired up already. It's like eight o'clock at night here in PA, but I'm ready to go. But I did want to, I, I did want to at least put this because this to me is a big thing in the fearless fathers podcast. And it's a big thing when it, when we talk about divorce and we talked about it quite a bit in depth today, but I, I, I kind of want to culminate this today. And we're talking about emotion in divorce in the process before, during, and after, you know, a lot of us dads, we have that fiery spirit. We're like, yeah, oh, we want to go. That warrior energy just kicks up, just kicks up. And we lose sight of that important stuff. We lose sight of our children and yeah. no fault of our own. It's, it's how we're wired as men mm -hmm. what are some strategies some takeaways some nug some andy heller golden nuggets you would that would help fathers come away with putting the emotions to the side and doing the steps that are going to be proactive instead of reactive all right i, I can give a number of them right, right off the bat and, sure. and this is going to sound really simple guys um so let's say you have a very toxic uh, uh co-parenting arrangement all right um, a lot of the counsel in my book is on communication and how to communicate in these types of environments. So one rule is, um, uh, don't read emails, uh, unless they're of logistical natures. Don't, don't, don't answer texts after ideally afternoon or after three o'clock in the afternoon. Why is that the case? Well, like you said, Dave, we men tend to be emotional creatures. So if you get a, a, an email and you, so like, let me get, put it in, in, in different words. Yeah. Many times when we are communicating with our former spouse, it's stressful. All right. Our emotions are elevated. It's stressful because we don't get along. All right. And decisions have to be made on some level with the children. So advice number one, only answer emails immediately that are of logistical natures. Everything else, I'll get back to you. I, let me think about it. Let me think about it. Let me think about it. Well, that's called the time card. It's a business principle. Use of the time card, everybody, is really helpful with children. Why? Because some things that were really important to little Johnny on Tuesday are even no longer on his radar on Friday, so you don't even have to talk to her about it. So you eliminate discussion points by kicking it down the can, kicking it down the road. Um, so the time card is about taking issues that are rising and putting them into two different buckets. Logistical nature must be decided upon right now. Things you can think about and get back. Okay. It's all about reducing conflict points. The timing part I was making earlier is, so again, you got this really toxic situation. So um, take your emails and communications only in the mornings. Why is that? Well, we men, because of the way we're wired, we're in, we're in business and we're, or we're, we're, we're doctors or lawyers, whatever we're doing, when we get in, in, in the uh, crux of our day, we tend to get caught up in our day. So if you are dealing with the crap in the morning, you got a much better chance of by the time you're ready to go to bed of the, the uh, stress around it having been lessened so you can go to sleep because you had the whole day in between. One of the thing, parts of divorce and stress management that gets does not get a lot of, of, of press, we'll call it, say, is sleep. You And when you're stressed, we men and a lot of women, we can't sleep. When we can't sleep, we're not able to make good decisions and it just gets worse and worse and worse.
So one of the ways, this, guys, this is not a the, the, the elixir. The, the, I, this is not a advice that's coming out that's going to make these issues completely grow away, but it's all about lessening the effect on you. So if you're dealing with the communications in the morning, you tend they tend to be less on your mind in the evening, allows you to go to bed without thinking about your ex a little bit easier. You, you're getting the rest you need. And guess what? It's like a hamster wheel. You're, 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 you're now making better decisions. And then because you're making better decisions, because you're rested, these emails are not agitating you as much. Okay. So the timing Ooh. of when you receive emails is really important. One other thing I'll say around that is uh, if you're in a really, really, really toxic uh, uh, co-parenting arrangement, there are actually great tools out there now um, from techno techno technological tools like the Family Wizard is one great one. It's a private email portal where you don't even see that first line that can set you off. All right. And you can be required by your co-parent counselor to communicate in the family wizard. So what you see is it, Dave, you have an, you have an email waiting for you from your ex. You can choose when to, when to access it. So again, in the morning, you can go and you can read your five emails. You can answer them. She's got her answer. You've done your co-parenting part. You go about your day. And by the time you're ready at six o'clock, seven o'clock at dinner, it's, it's in distant memory. You're not stressed out and you can get, get, get sleep. So yeah, even the, something like the timing of when you read emails, which ones you pull the time card on, which ones you answer right away, that can be really, really helpful in bringing down your stress. Guys, we punch a time card as it is already. So it's not that hard to punch another time card. Just, just get it going. But one, one point you wanted to do on that before we wrap that up, you talked about the whole point of not picking your emails or your text in the afternoon. I have been a big proponent now for the last maybe two, three years of not responding to messages that have no precedent to me or not like priority is probably the better word to say. And I got to tell you, when I've done that, that has taken off so much pressure. It's taken off so much time. It's actually relaxed me. We're to the point where I get an email and I'm like, okay, I don't need to respond to that right now. We're in that technological age where we feel we see a ding, we hear a buzz, we have to respond. Put it down. Put it yeah. down. Don't don't let something else already stress you out more than, than it's already been stressing you. It's not worth it. These are some great tools. These are some great tips, and those are going to be down in the bottom of the description of this video or the audio only if you're listening. So make sure you check those out, guys. Andy, it has been a pleasure. We're definitely going to have you on the show again. There's no doubt about that because I feel we have a lot more to talk about in the coming, coming months. Um, but while we're wrapping this up, Tell us where we could find the book, where they, where the guys could get it, or where they can learn more about you if they're interested. Sure. Well, um, we have a website, www.takethehighroaddivorce.com. But the book, actually, actually, tomorrow's a real big day because we are launching our second edition of the book. We've made a couple of different changes. So just go to Amazon, guys. Just go to Amazon. Look for our second edition. Um, and, uh, yeah, the the the... the, the I'd love to come back, Dave. I, 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 the, the, the thing I would want to end with is if you're listening to this podcast, you're already taking the first step because like you're recognizing, you know what? I can't do this by myself. And you bring in resources into your life to allow you to land in a better place and be a better father. And resources are, you know, books like mine. Um, if nothing else, I, I, I've seen it from a man's perspective. All right. Um, and that podcast like Dave's and the fact that you are listening or watching, I'm, I'm going to applaud you. You're, 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 you're doing the right thing. Cause there's a lot of men out there. They're like, Oh, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a strong guy. I don't I don't need anything. I'm going to be okay. Well, you know what? I'm a pretty strong guy. I don't consider myself a wimp. I always was that guy in, in, in every group that was the one that helped my friends. And I didn't realize how off I was. So the fact that you guys are listening and, and taking, uh, availing yourself of resources like this, maybe in my book, hopefully, um, this is great. I'm more power to you. And you're probably 20 steps ahead of other people who are, are not able to look in a mirror and ask for help.
a thousand percent. Yeah, and you couldn't have said any better. But there is one special thing that you've done in this podcast today, and I'm pretty sure you have no idea what you did. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> you have actually made sure that I didn't curse for an entire podcast episode. So congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if you're upset, I mean, you can you can drop an F bomb before we before we leave. I'm fine with that. No, but, no, uh, no. It's going to throw everybody <laughs> off, and I want to keep it that way. Let's throw them all off for the algorithm. Yeah, but but it, it's it's. Look, um, oh, I'd love to be back, and absolutely, I, um, it, it's such a pleasure to see that there are resources out there to help guys. Um, and uh, I will leave you with one last tidbit, everybody. Everybody, when, when you're negotiating divorce, I, I find that a lot of us men are are uber focused on what we get on day one. The the one of the most powerful principles in my book is divorce is a marathon, not a sprint. Love it. Well, focus on what you want your life to look like as a father two years after, not what it is going to look like on the first day. And it's going to make it a lot easier for you to make decisions and to, and to co-parent during the first months after you sign the paper. I got nothing else, guys. Take what Andy said today. Take those nuggets. Take that information. Jot it down. Even if you aren't a divorced parent, there is something in there that you could put down. I mean, I have a whole page full of notes that I'm going to use on this podcast as well, too, in my own life. So make sure you write those down. Make sure you go check out Andy's book, Take the High Road, A Practical Guide for Divorce for You and Your Family. That is on Amazon. The link for that is in the description of this episode. Make sure you check that out. Make sure you support this amazing man doing amazing work for amazing fathers just like yourself. And if you haven't already, make sure you leave us a like, a review, and a rating on iTunes or wherever you're at. That's just going to help us out, reach more audiences like yourselves that need this information because we do it for you at the end of the day. You know, we might treat this like a business, but man, we're doing it for you because you guys are our business. So I want to thank you guys for listening. I want to thank you, Andy, for being on the show. We're definitely going to have you on again, man. This was a blast. I feel like we could go on forever and ever and ever, and I'm pretty sure we could probably push that limit. So thank you guys. Thank you, Andy. And until next time, guys, let's rethink fatherhood. Mm -hmm.